This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome one, welcome all to the court of the Trashy Royals, where we assemble each week to reveal and revel in the tales of our betters behaving badly. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, Alicia here. Thank you for joining us for... Today's Naughty Nobles. This week we are moving to the last of the Battenberg children, Louis, and his future bride, Edwina. We're going to get to know the two of them to ship them by the end of this episode. Before we begin, though, because wowza, (laughs) we have a few fine and good nobles to thank for their Patreon support. Thank you so, so much for joining our community over at Patreon.com. David M., Melissa W., Teresa L., and Kim S. Y'all are amazing. If you would like to get Trashy Royals delivered early and ad-free, Patreon.com slash Trashy Royals podcast is the place to go to make that happen. Thank you for all of our supporters there and you for joining us today. Let us anon to Edwina Ashley and Louis Battenberg. All right, Alicia. Louis... And Edwina. Ladies first. We're going to start with Edwina today in our Getting Them Together episode. Edwina Ashley was born on November 28th, 1901. She's a Sagittarius girl. Edwina was named after a close friend of her grandfather. Her grandfather, his name is Sir Ernest Castle. He is a German multimillionaire. He's also the financial advisor to... King Edward VII, who we affectionately know around here as... Dirty Birdie. You got it. Dirty Birdie is also Edwina's godfather. Edwina's granddad, Sir Ernest Castle, is the source also of tremendous wealth and Edwina's wealth. Sir Ernest's daughter, Maud, was Edwina's mother. And Castle and Maud, father, daughter, very, very close... Most of this closeness develops because Sir Ernest Castle's wife died just three years into their marriage. Hmm. So the closeness between father and daughter continued to Edwina once she was born. There's going to be some similarities in childhoods here. Mentioning here, Sir Ernest Castle was Jewish. And this is going to be an important factor once World War II begins because it would cause Edwina and Dickie, Louis, to send their daughters to America when the threat of the German invasion was a very real possibility. Makes sense. Edwina has a sister. Her name is Mary. But their mother, Maud, maybe because Maud's own mother had died when she was so very young, Maud is not an involved or mm-hmm. an affectionate mother to her daughters, Edwina and Mary. 
this would also be a trait that Edwina would carry onto her daughters that she will someday have. The thing you want to know is that Edwina's father, Wilfred Ashley, mm, sure. he wants a boy. He doesn't have boys. He has two girls. So for the most part, with Wilfred wanting a boy and Maud not being a terribly overly concerned mother, Edwina and her younger sister mostly spend their childhood with <laughs> governesses or nurses and moving about family residences. Biographer Richard Huff writes, Edwina led an unusually peripatetic life. During her years of infancy, a panorama of faces constantly paraded before her. Friends and relatives, friends of friends and relatives of relatives, as she was taken overwrapped like all children of her generation, from Dorset to Wilshire, to Hampshire to Sussex, to Norfolk to Yorkshire, and back to 13 Cadogan Square or 32 Bruton Street, London, or to Broadlands. Now, Maud does not get a chance to have that son because Maud, Mama, is a delicate consumptive, and she dies in 1911. Yikes. So, Edwina's 10? Edwina is 9, and her younger sister Mary is 5. And Edwina accepts her mother's death like a little adult. She takes solace in her pets. She cares for her younger sister Mary. Maud dies of tuberculosis. Wilfred Ashley, daddy, who has never been too much concerned anyway, is now never going to get his son. He's a remote figure. He doesn't spend pretty much any time with his daughters. So, for little Edwina, the time she has with her grandfather, Sir Ernest Castle, was the primary relationship that provided the most stability for the majority of her childhood. It's all about grandpa. It's not dad, and now mom's gone. Wilfred Ashley, Papa, story, he remarries in 1914 because he feels like he needs a wife for his political career, hmm. which, quite frankly, never amounts to much. So it wasn't even like my daughter's need. Oh, it, This was no. strictly his own ambitions. No, no, no. We are now entering the Cinderella portion of <sighs> this story. So, Edwina and Mary's new wicked stepmother, her oh name, uh-huh, is Molly Forbes Simple. And Wilfred only met Molly just like a few weeks before he marries her. <laughs> and if you thought Wilfred took zero to no negative interest in his girls, Molly had even less interest in her new stepdaughters. Molly was unkind to staff members and quickly make several changes in the home Broadlands. One of Edwina's friends describes Molly as, quote-unquote, most unkind. Louis Mountbatten later calls her a, quote-unquote, wicked woman. Hmm. She's not good, Molly, to her girls. So lots of changes that Molly makes, just besides being a general meanie, uh, at Broadlands, or wherever she was, really, one change that she implemented was a strict rule that children must be in bed by 6.30 p.m. at night as not to interfere with her plans and not be in the way. She insists, Molly does, that Edwina and Mary call her Madra, 
And not only that, Molly will dismiss the girl's beloved governess. Now, Daddy Wilfred does nothing to stop his new wife from making whatever changes to the rules she wants to make. Nor does Wilfred insist on Molly treating his daughters well. Sure, and I'm sure they were bonded with that governess. You want to hear one more example? Uh. When Wilfred, well, when the family travels, Wilfred and Molly would book first class passage for herself, but would send the girls traveling in third class. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, feeling it would be a little bit easier to divide and conquer. Molly is going to send Mary to a boarding school to separate the girls. So now that Edwina is alone at Broadlands with just a governess to keep her company, Edwina finds some enjoyment in, you could say, taunting Molly. Hmm. One of Edwina's favorite ways to do this was to write and speak in only French or German, which are languages that Molly does not know. Molly and Edwina not getting along great. So Edwina, who is taunting Molly, Molly's like, I'm done. So Molly is going to send Edwina to Lynx School in 1916. This is in Sussex. And here Edwina, bless her heart, suffers all kinds of abuse and bullying and taunts from other girls, not only about her wealth, because Edwina's grandfather is loaded, but also Edwina's German-Jewish heritage. Edwina struggles with the strict routine because she... There was none. There was none. Yeah. We're also in World War I. So wartime meals are sparse. Edwina mm-hmm. goes to Link School. She hates it. So what does she do? Who's her closest relationship? She writes Grandpa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she writes Grandpa. Come she, rescue me. Mm-hmm. She writes her Grandpa. And she writes, please take me away, dear Grandpa, if you love me at all. And with his intervention, Edwina leaves after a year and was then enrolled in Old House, which is sort of a finishing school. She'll leave Old House just short of completing the course, because then she's going to go to Grandpa and talk him into giving her a grand tour of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and when Edwina comes back from her grand tour of Italy, she goes to not back with Molly, but goes to live with Grandpa at Brook House in London. She becomes his social hostess in order to escape that tense relationship Mm -hmm. with her wicked stepmother. Grandpa, who's been widowed for years, is like, hey, it would be great. You've been to finishing school. Mm -hmm. You can come run my house and stand in for that feminine role that I need for my important banker job. Edwina's like, great, Grandpa. Thank you. I love this offer. And she finds she is a natural society hostess. And maybe it wasn't the, you know, exciting life that Edwina had maybe hoped for to live with her old-fashioned grandfather. Because Grandpa doesn't let her leave the house without a chaperone. But hey, Grandpa's bringing in parties and events Mm -hmm. that she can interact with. And it's way better than living with stepmom. She could finally speak and write English again. (laughs) Exactly. Sir Charles Baring, who spent time with Edwina 
when she and her grandfather stayed in the south of France in the winter of 1920, says about Edwina. She talked very openly to me about life, what she wanted from it. She knew nothing at the time, but she did know that she was going to play some significant part in the world. Hmm. She had a great sense of destiny, but didn't know what it was. Another one of her contemporaries speaks about Edwina at this time, hostessing at Brookhouse. Her conversation was clever, and she spoke quickly, often in the form of questions. She had this enormous curiosity about life and the world, and you could see she had this determination to succeed. That's Edwina. Now, May of 1920, Edwina makes her coming out. She is one of the most beautiful debutantes of the year. She's intelligent. She's charming. She's a terrific dancer. She's an interesting conversationalist. By the next year, when her grandfather, Sir Ernest Castle, dies, Edwina would also be the richest girl in Britain. Wow. When Castle died, he was worth an estimated seven million pounds. This is over 300 million pounds in today's money, with Edwina getting the single largest share of his estate. So she's young, she's beautiful, and she is filthy rich. Okay. Cinderella makes good. Okay, that's Edwina and her backstory. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about old Dickie before we bring the two of them together. Louis Mountbatten. We'll be right back. Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present from all over the world, to show you the darker side of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned Princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl, She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria. He was only 18 when his father died, leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. (laughs) But this choice eventually cost him the crown. And his life. Mm. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights... You're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Oh, Louie, Louie, <laughs> Louie, Louie. Dickie Mountbatten, technically mm-hmm. Battenberg technically at Battenberg, the time, yeah. was born June 25th, 1900 at Frogmore House, mm. the home of much recent discussion all sure. in the news. Frogmore has been around a while. Little Louis's given name, Louis Francis Albert Victor Nicholas. But he's always called Dickie by his family and friends. Remember, Dickie is the great-grandson of Queen Victoria. 
Dickie is also Queen Victoria's last godchild. She dies shortly after Dickie's birth. Think about that. Her last godchild is born a scant year before Bertie's taking the throne. It's just incredible. Kind of think about that, the large age difference, as Louis was such a male figure to Prince Philip. Your uncle is in his 20s when you're born, Prince Philip. Like, kind of mm-hmm. long legacies, everybody yeah. here. Little Dicky, he was educated in his younger years primarily by his mother, Princess Victoria, who was considered a walking encyclopedia. She taught little Dicky till he was about nine years old, with Dicky saying, She taught me English, German, French, and Latin. She taught me world history in a horizontal manner. In the Elizabethan era, I knew what was going on in Europe and India as well as England. Remember, Dickie has three older siblings. We've talked about them in the last weeks. Alice, born in 1885. Louise, born in 1889. George, born in 1891. So Dickie comes along eight years after George. He's so much younger than his other siblings that he grows up mostly having to entertain himself. Right. He doesn't have siblings as playmates. Right. He is genuinely the baby brother. And the baby. The baby, baby, baby. He's used to being absolutely indulged. He is the baby of the family. Dickie says, I was spoilt and no one minded. (laughs) With Dickie's father away for naval service most of the time and his brother George away at school, Dickie was raised primarily in a female household by his mothers and his sisters, as well as female members of staff. Andrew Loney writes, This was to have a powerful effect on him in later life. He was always to get on with women better than men, who were either to be admired, like his father and brother, or seen as antagonists to be defeated. In 1913, little Dickie would have been 13, 14 years old. He follows his father and brother's footsteps to be trained in the Navy. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Dickie attends Osborne, the Navy's training school on the Isle of Wight. The summer following his first year at Osborne, Dickie will spend in Hesse, which is his mother's family home, Mm -hmm. with his siblings. They were joined there. By their Romanoff cousins. <laughs> wow. Remember his mom, Victoria, and Aunt Alex were sisters that made Dickie's first cousins with all the Romanoff children. That particular summer in 1913, Dickie's first encounter with love. Dickie falls head over heels in love with the 14-year-old Grand Duchess Maria. He later says, I was crackers about Marie and was determined to marry her. She was absolutely lovely. I keep her photography on the mantelpiece in my bedroom. Always have. Hmm. We know his dream of marrying Grand Duchess Maria would not come true, as sadly, five years later, Grand Duchess Maria and her entire family were murdered murdered by by the Bolsheviks. When World War I breaks out, there was such anti-German sentiment in England. That we know, Dickie's father, who was also the British Admiral of the Fleet and First Sea Lord. Would you like your title to be First Sea Lord? Some kind of, yeah, some kind of element of nature lord for sure. 
I don't know if we've talked about this. Dickie's dad was forced to resign his first Sea Lord British Admiral of the Fleet title due to his German birth, even though he had been in charge of readying the entire fleet for war. At that time, 1914, the family name was still Battenberg, but we know in 1917, King George V would require all of the family members to relinquish their German titles and change their German-sounding surnames. Yeah, one of history's great rebrand projects. <laughs> off the charts. This is how Louis and Victoria Battenberg, Dickie's parents, become Louis and Victoria Mountbatten, the Marquess and Marchioness of Milford Haven. Now, the humiliation to Dickie's father, I mean, you're... First sea lord, Louis is mad. He's big mad. So the impact of this on young Dickie cannot be understated. Dickie is going to spend his entire life attempting to avenge his father. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Dickie makes it his mission to become admiral of the fleet and first sea lord himself. In 1915, Dickie moves on to the Britannia Royal Naval College, this is also known as Dartmouth, to continue his naval training. In July of 1916, Dickie has his first naval posting as a junior midshipman to Admiral Beatty's flagship HMS Lion. Andrew Loney writes, In August, Lion escaped a mine and a torpedo attack in the North Sea, defending Sutherland from a German bombardment. Dickie was thrilled. He had achieved his ambition and been bloodied by war. (laughs) By 1919, Dickie was a sub-lieutenant on an anti-submarine vessel. It's very exciting. (laughs) Later that year, the Navy sends Dickie to Cambridge. Here, Dickie throws himself wholeheartedly into college life. He joins a lot of extracurricular clubs, does activities. Pretty exciting. Dickie's having a great time. Love is going to come around again. It seems like this real first significant love comes along in 1920 when Dickie falls head over heels in love with the illegitimate granddaughter of King Edward VII, Mm -hmm. Dirty Birdie. Mm -hmm. Her name is Audrey James. Dickie writes about Audrey James. The most beautiful girl of the season, this everyone admits, but... I think she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. She's nearly 18, I think. The trouble, or perhaps the safeness of it all, is that I am number nine of her young men, though being the latest at presently, apparently, the most favored. Oh, Audrey James. Okay, Audrey's mom, known in society as Mrs. Willie James, Mrs. Willie James is a legendary hostess of British country house parties. There's a Mm. lot more to that story, which is not the focus of the story today. The thing to know is that Louis is head over heels about Audrey. Crackers about her, too. And she's the illegitimate granddaughter of Dirty Birdie. Like, I don't even know how this works. Some historian could tell me how Dickie and Audrey would be related. related. It's a lot. It's too connected on the branches and through the underground. Anyway, mm-hmm. Dickie, over the moon about Audrey. She's a little younger. She's a tourist girl. Dickie's a cancer, hard on his sleeve and all that. 
After spending a little bit more time with Audrey James, Dickie's going to write a letter to his mother about her, which makes it obvious just how much he adored Audrey. The letter reads, He's <laughs> so gone. How can any girl be so pretty and alive at the same time beats me? Mama, you simply couldn't conceive how lovely she is. Beats everything I've seen to a frazzle. Keeps two houses, a maid, a footman, etc. of her own. And yet she is unspoilt. Deceitful, yes. <laughs> but not spoilt. <laughs> She's got the weeest and most perfect eyebrows under marvelous gray <laughs> eyes. And the most kissable mouth that God ever made. Wow. Swoon. Yeah, he's in deep. Dickie's got it bad. Bad. <laughs> the most kissable mouth. That's great. The weest and most perfect eyebrows. Deceitful, yes, but not spoilt. <laughs> Alas, poor Dickie. Audrey James will soon break off her courtship with Dickie. Dickie will again write to his mother to inform Princess Victoria of... Audrey's decision. Mm -hmm. And his, his heartbreak. Oh, God, his heart is broken. Dickie writes, She says how miserable she is to have made me unhappy, and how she can't understand herself, and how she's lost all faith in herself. She even said she wasn't good enough for me. I have written back a nice a letter as I possibly could. It is hard to realize what we were to each other at one time, as she says herself in her letter, and to realize that all is over. She pulled a, it's not you, it's me mm -hmm. on him. Okay. I try to be philosophical about it and to realize that it's probably all for the best and that I was too young, but it is rather hard. Poor Dickie. <laughs> but that's okay. Cause Dickie's going to have something new to do. He's going to get his mind off of Audrey James. He is going to go on a Royal tour with his cousin, David, future Eddie the Eight. That story is coming back right after a quick break. Mm. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Oh, you just can't keep those royals down. Mm -mm. It is in March 1920 that the Prince of Wales, future Edward VIII, David, sure, and Dickie set out on a royal tour to Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific, and the West Indies. Dickie goes with David. He's like his little baggage. <laughs> there are six years between Dickie and David. Now, Dickie is 20, so he's old enough. David, like, is 26, and they're second cousins. Mm -hmm. 
Dickie on the ship has some official roles, but mostly he was there to keep David amused. Sure. Be his friend. Mm -hmm. His minder, so to speak. Why? At the time. Oh, goodness. David is in the middle of a long and serious affair with a lady named Frida Dudley Ward. David has been in love with Frida Dudley Ward and will be in love with her until Wallace Simpson comes along. Although everyone remember that Telma Morgan Furness entered David's picture in 1929. At that time, 1929, David is bereft because Frida Dudley Ward is caring for one of her sick children, so she has less time to spend with David, which is how David hooks up with Telma in the first place. And so is Frida married? Oh, yeah. Okay. A thousand percent. I'm like, well, why don't they just get married? But okay, because she's already married. Correct. She, Frida Dudley Ward, was David's long-term 1920 to 1934 mistress. Telma comes along in 1929, introduces David to Wallace in 31. Once Wallace and David get together in 34, Frida Dudley Ward is chucked out the window. It's a sad, sad story. We'll talk about that one day. We're still here in happy times. Sure. David will write to his mistress, Frida Dudley Ward, shortly after the trip begins. He'll write, Dickie is keen and cherry about everything, Although, of course, he is such a baby. 2620, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Keen and cherry about everything. David continues to Frida. But he's a very clever boy and goes out of his way to be nice and kind and sympathetic and attentive to me, as I think he guesses a little how I'm feeling. I'm so glad I've got him with me, and I think we're going to be great friends, or as much so as our different ages will allow us, as, of course, he is terribly young. <laughs> Just really hung up on this. But he's been such a help to me today, Angel, and I'm grateful for him. Now, Dickie is having the time of his life on rural tour with David. He'll write to his mother, (laughs) who is now Marchioness of Milford Haven. David, I like more and more the more I see of him. We have long talks before he finally goes to bed at night in his sleeping cabin and exchange various confidences, mainly affair de cours, affairs of the heart. Poor chap, with all these hundreds of people round him, he's as lonely and homesick as he can be and is, at present, hating, all capital letters, this trip, exclamation point. He says he'll cheer up later. But then he is very, very badly smitten, I think. During this time, Dickie has many girls that he's fond of after the romance with Audrey goes bust. And Dickie's really... You know, he's 20, so old, I mean, grandpa, uh, considering the prospect of getting married. But in June, Peter Murphy writes Dickie. Big news. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Hot news. Dickie, you need to know, quote, there was a new debutante whom all the young men are mad about. Huge blue eyes, attractive hair, a gorgeous figure, and lovely legs. Your cup of tea. Her name is Edwina Ashley, and everybody tells me she is very sweet. Hmm. In October... Talk about friends keeping the grapevine moving. Wow. Oh, yeah. In October 1920, the seven-month-long royal tour concludes 
with Dickie and David now having formed a very close bond. Dickie has also met many people and made a whole lot of connections aboard a royal ship that would mm-hmm. be useful to him throughout his life. Dickie, at the ripe old age of 21, has grown and matured a great deal on this trip and has also seen much of the world. Mm-hmm. Dickie feels like it is most certainly the time to find a proper wife and settle down. How innocent it all <laughs> is here. It will not stay that way. <laughs> now that we have the backgrounds on both of our players, mm-hmm. let's progress to their fated meeting. Their inevitable coming together. 100%. How Dickie and Edwina meet. It is through another extremely rich and well-known family that Edwina Ashley and Dickie Mountbatten begin their romance. It was on the yacht belonging to Cornelius and Grace Vanderbilt. Wow. Fold the cheese Uh everywhere. There's so much cheese folding. Sure. It is on the yacht of the Vanderbilts that Edwina and Dickie, the two glamorous figures, first begin their courtship. Now, in this situation, it's a lot like Gloria Sr. and Gloria Jr. Grace Vanderbilt, the mother, has a daughter named Grace Vanderbilt. Of course. Grace Vanderbilt, the mother, had invited Dickie on board the yacht in hopes that Dickie would fall for her own Uh, very shy daughter, Grace Vanderbilt. Dickie certainly does fall for a girl. That trip, but it is not Grace Vanderbilt the Younger. It was the beautiful and much sought after Edwina Ashley, who his friend had already written about. Mm-hmm. He was already scoping, Dickie was. Yeah. But Edwina Ashley has just turned down a proposal from Charlie Reese, the future 8th Baron Denver. Holy cats. Now, this is not the first time that Dickie and Edwina have actually met. They met the year before at a ball held at Claridge's Hotel. This was all the way back, all the way back a few months ago, in October of 1920. But there were so many people there that they didn't really have the chance to speak. However, on this 10-day cruise along the (laughs) coast of Belgium and northern France aboard the Vanderbilt yacht, Edwina and Dickie were able to get to know each other in the romance began. Yeah, that seems like more fertile ground than, you know, like at the nightclub. (laughs) Right. Dickie later said, there is no doubt that it was on this cruise that we really fell in love. It was lovely weather and we used to sit up in deck chairs by moonlight holding hands and we went ashore at each place and went to the local nightclub and had a very gay and amusing time. I love old writing because they went ashore at every place and went to the local nightclub and had a very gay and amusing time. You know, those two are making out against walls, (laughs) right? In (laughs) nightclubs in France. Come on. It sounds just so banal here, Mm -hmm. but you know, those two were getting up to some shady things. Same as it ever was. French nightclubs. Okay, now, fortunately, Grace Vanderbilt Sr. and the Younger did not hold any kind of grudge over the incident, which is great, because listen to this twist of the story. 
when Edwina and Dickie decide to send their daughters to America because of the threat of German invasion, Mm -hmm. their daughters go stay with the Vanderbilts in New York City. So no hard feelings. Yeah. Super cool. After this 10 day making out against nightclubs, traveling through on the yacht, Dickie takes Edwina to meet his parents, Louis and Victoria. They are charmed by her. Louis, Dickie's dad, tells Dickie after the visit, Edwina is the most remarkable and charming girl of this generation that I have met. Wow. She's got intelligence, character, everything. Now, you're very young, but if you do decide to marry her, you have my wholehearted approval. Hmm. She'll make a wonderful wife for you. Hmm. That's uh, quite the endorsement. Now, Dickie and Edwina had planned to meet soon thereafter, and Dickie has every intention of proposing to Edwina. But here, life and its complications comes in the way. Dickie's father, Louie, who he idolizes, dies suddenly of a heart attack. Plot twist. Ten days later, Edwina's grandfather, Sir Ernest Castle, also died of a heart attack. Oh, wow. So they are losing their main... Stability. Stabilities in life within ten days of each other. And Edwina and Dickie, their mutual grief draws them together even more. And because of this, the two absolutely decide that they want to marry. But they're not idiots, and they know that not everyone would approve or think them a very good match. Why would that be? Let's break this down a little bit. Edwina was now the richest girl in England. She's fully set to inherit her share of her wealthy grandfather's estate, either upon her marriage or at the age of 28. Her great wealth brings tremendous attention after Sir Ernest Castle's death. Her inheritance allowance was giving her a weekly income of £2,000 a week. That is huge money for the day. The average income in the country, just for regular folk, £2 a week. I mean, 2,000 pounds a week today might let you live in London. But when the average is two pounds a week, Edwina loaded lots of cash. Dickie, goodness, was about to leave for his long trip. He's about to go on another trip with David, the Prince of Wales, on another royal tour. They were just trying to keep David out of England, weren't they? 100%, yes. (laughs) If we keep him on a boat, he mm-hmm. stays away from Frida Dudley Ward. Right. He stays away from... Like, yeah. But also at that time, David is so popular. He is the Prince of Wales. He is doing worldwide... And he hates it. He's not into it, but it's really good for the firm. Dickie's going to come along with David again on another world royal tour. So Edwina and Dickie decide not to announce their engagement until a time closer when the marriage could actually take place. We could announce our engagement, but Dickie, you're going to be gone for all these months, so we'll just wait on it. Mm -hmm. Andrew Lowney writes, Concerns remained. Both of them were young and emotionally immature. Dickie on the rebound from Audrey and his father's death. 
and Edwina even keener with her grandfather's death to create the family unit she had missed in her youth. There was also the huge disparity in their wealth and backgrounds. Dickie had his 310 pounds a year naval pay, which was doubled with his private income, but it was nothing besides that Mm -hmm. of Edwina in the circumstances. Given Dickie was about to leave for eight months, the couple decided to keep quiet. On October the 26th, 1921, Dickie and David, the Prince of Wales, set sail for their tour. At this particular junction, Prince Albert, Duke of York, and Prince Henry were both there to see their brother off. Dickie's mother and brother and sister Louise and Edwina came to see Dickie off. Later that night, Dickie writes Edwina, My own beloved darling, when you get this, we will have been parted for the last time in a long while. So I want to tell you that you will be truly ever in my thoughts and you will be my guiding spirit throughout. I shall try very hard to be worthy of your great love, though, darling, it is difficult for a poor sinner like me (laughs) to look up to such a wonderful, wonderful girl. It is just a few months later in February that Edwina will meet up with the royal tour in Delhi. Their engagement was made official on Valentine's Day, February 14, 1922, just four months after they met. Hmm. It was later read in Sir Anthony Eden's diary on the day of their engagement announcement, simply... Miss Edwina Ashley is engaged to Lord Louis Mountbatten. What a waste. Oh, my God. Okay. Everybody's a critic. What a waste. Wow. I'm going to leave you all on that cliffhanger. Waste Mm. for whom? I have so many questions. That is Edwina and Dickie childhoods getting them Engaged. The two have not really had too much time to do anything too trashy yet. We're still in the land of innocent, good times. Sure. Beating the evil stepmom and earning the inheritance money. Uh, Yeah. Dickie falling in love. Oh, it's so good. Mm -hmm. Next week when we come back, we will get these two hitched. We're going to marry them up and send them on their honeymoon and the, (laughs) the... The trashy troubles begin. Uh Just you wait, friends. Until we are back with you next Thursday, don't forget, you can always get more of us over on Trashy Divorces if you like a good podcast about a bad relationship. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're into the high society angle, Done and Done is right there waiting for you. So much cheese folding between our podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in, for telling your friends, and generally for being wonderful people. That is entirely the truth. Y'all are simply amazing. Mm -hmm. Until we meet again, keep your eye on the crown. Polish up those thrones or whatnot. Don't let Edwina get out of your sight. (laughs) (laughs) Big love, everybody. Have a tremendous week. Bye. Bye.